It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Have you all heard about these sex-crazed monsters that are coming to town? They're female, and don't tell anyone, but they are totally turned on. They love sex, and they're not afraid to tell you about it. I'm kidding, obviously, sort of, partly. But that's how some people have reacted to news about the new female libido boosters that will be available in the coming years. Uh, The critics have been men primarily, but I know many of you guys who are listening have totally rocking more respectful views of women and have no fear at all about our girl boners. We love you for that. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, where good girls go for sexual empowerment. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and we are going to hit on some awesomely important topics today, including libido-boosting drugs and middle-aged sex issues with nurse and blogger Chloe Jeffries, plus what to do when your guy has a lower sex drive than you do with Dr. Megan Fleming, and five myths about female sex drive with yours truly, starting now. Myth number one, women peak sexually in their 30s. You've heard that, right? This is a myth. The notion is based on one study published in 1953, yeah, like a really long time ago, in which this researcher, Alfred Kinsey, who's a very famous sexologist, uh, found that female participants in their 30s had more orgasms than participants in other age groups. But that really doesn't tell us much, right? Partly because, again, it was the 1950s. Did you ever watch Leave it to Beaver? More often, and hopefully, we gain something else that boosts sex drive over time, and it's not age, it's confidence. This leads to greater orgasm strength and frequency as we age. Hallelujah. We're also far less encouraged than males to explore sexually during young adulthood or to do so without shame, and we all know that shame can really tank our girl boners. Myth number two, guys think about sex every seven seconds. Okay, let's count that out. Seven, six, five, four, three, two. Swing. That was never proven. There was never even a study to back this up. I've read a whole bunch of mixed uh, study results about uh, how often different genders think about sex and sexuality. And the numbers are actually pretty darn close and variable. Um, Guys shouldn't feel pressured to be turned on 24-7 or at the drop of a hat or your pants, <laughs> and we gals shouldn't feel shame if we desire it more often or less often. It's it's all variable. Myth number three, women want fewer sex partners than men do. That can be true. That does not necessarily have to be true. It really depends on the person, but large-scale research shows that Uh, and this was published in the current directions in psychological science actually, used statistical controls and showed that males and females desired 
the same amount of partners. Uh, the study also showed that men are a lot more likely to exaggerate their sexual partner total, and women tend to round the number down. So again, we just can't kind of lump everybody into these huge generalizations. We're a lot more alike than we realize, but we're also very unique as individuals. Sexuality is unique. It's our own. We're all different, and that is totally okay. In fact, it's awesome. Myth number four, casual sex appeals less to women than men. You know, I thought I wasn't allowed to have casual sex forever, so why would we, you know, know that we enjoyed it if we thought it was like this horrible thing that would send us to hell? Um, so here are the facts. A bunch of studies recently showed that men and women desire casual sex equally. This primarily looked at um, younger generations, like in their 20s. So I know that things have changed a little bit, which is good. Um, but women are more likely to experience shame and depressive moods afterward because, again, they don't feel as as free or comfortable or for whatever reason. There, there are multiple reasons, and it's very complex in some ways. And certainly I'm not saying that we all need to desire casual sex, but um, that is a myth that men are the ones who want it and women just don't. Myth number five, emotional intimacy guarantees high sex drive and great sex. Nope, not even for women. Uh, the stereotype is that women need to be all super emotionally connected and ooey-gooey, hallmarky to be turned on, right? That's nice, of course. But, and for guys, it's nice too. But while feeling like we are BFFs or just romantic, you know, others with another person is awesome, it doesn't necessarily boost libido. We also need to prioritize spiciness, creating that um, sexy, intimate space physically, letting ourselves get turned on inside and out. Everyone's normal is different, and we can all have gratifying sex lives. What matters is cultivating a sexual lifestyle that suits us and our partners. I received a question about these um, well, related to these myths, after I shared them on my blog, Kelly asked this. She said, August, this is awkward for me to talk about, and for my boyfriend for that matter, but he has a lower sex drive than I do. And he has since the beginning of our two-year relationship. He swears it's nothing to do with me and doesn't seem to have any medical problems. He's 35 and a health nut. I want to believe him, and I suppose I do rationally, but it's hard not to worry, especially when the whole world seems to think guys never have this issue until they're elderly. Anyway, it makes it uncomfortable for me to initiate, and I really wish he would, he would more often. I also don't want him to feel bad. A friend of mine referred me to your blog, which has been so helpful. I guess I'm wondering if you have any suggestions for making this less awkward or how to know if there's a bigger problem at play. Kelly, I love this question so much. I've gotten variations from many women, so you're totally not alone. Um, I decided to share it with our resident expert, Megan Fleming, to see what she had to say. Kelly, this is a great question, and it's definitely another sexual myth that we need to bust, and that is male sexual drive. Because not all men are sexual superheroes, and we as women have been conditioned to believe that if men aren't like the postman and able to deliver in any kind of weather, well, either that there's something wrong with them or they're not attracted to us. And I can tell you neither is likely true. Sex drive is like most traits, and it follows the distribution of a bell curve. So it's certainly true that if we overlap the bell curve distribution of men and women, one on top of the other, yes, absolutely, more men have a higher libido than women. But that said, there are really many men who would fall on the lower end or even the tail end of that distribution. And so their own level, just general level of desire, may truly be lower than a number of female partners. 
there are so many factors that can influence someone's sex drive, just beyond testosterone, sort of the endocrine system. It could have things to do with what messages maybe your partner got about sex or what was modeled for him. Did he have any negative early experiences with premature ejaculation or maintaining his erection that might truly have conditioned him to become avoidant around sexuality or anxious, not having confidence in his ability to perform or give you pleasure? Unfortunately, uh, an often unspoken anxiety in men is male sexual performance. So we definitely want to rule out that that may not be contributing or part of his history. It's also true, perhaps, it's, uh, your partner may be suffering from depression, and depending on the degree of that, certainly that could benefit from treatment. And it's also true that there's what we sort of call the conditions for sex. Um, the foundational one is being rested and relaxed. So most men, unfortunately, as much as we may have the desire to be supermen, they're real men, and real men, like we all are, are mammals. And things like stress and lack of sleep can really keep sex from being top of mind. So I want to talk to you a little bit about what it's like for Kelly and I imagine other women, because I've worked uh, with these women over the years. And I can tell you that it sucks. But it also sucks when men have a female partner who has little or no desire. Mismatches of desire definitely suck, and yet almost all couples will go through them at some point in the relationship. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't have to be a death knoll to or told to your relationship. It's, it is definitely about how you both come together, talk about it, handle it, and find ways to get on the same page. It may not be your optimal, but there's so many factors and conditions that it's going to change over time, and it's really about the quality of the experiences and the connection. So here are a few tips I'd like you to know. One is that the lower desire partner, your boyfriend, he's the one controlling the frequency of sex. It's sad, but it's true. The key here point uh, I want to make here is that low libido partners that I've worked with over the last 15 years, almost all of them want to want. They want to have more desire, and they really don't want to be the sexual gatekeeper that they've become. So talk about your sort of respective turn-ons and make time for experiences that foster your sexy connection without expectation that it's going to lead to sex. Definitely take that pressure off, because I don't know and you don't know. You'll find out in the moment with what actually feels right and it's your own turn-on. The second thing is, I'd say, make room to notice your own feelings and to allow them. If you try to keep down your own frustrations or disappointments, it's really a setup. Feelings have to go somewhere, or you're going to become a pressure cooker likely, and they're going to come out and blow at the most inopportune time. So I say that it's so much easier for your partner to be able to hear you and come together to create a more opportunities to take advantage of your own personal best conditions for sex when there's just sort of a lower level of disappointment in the air. And again, those feelings are completely normal. And if you find it's hard and you don't always want to have that conversation with your partner, maybe it's a girlfriend or a therapist, there, you shouldn't have to be alone dealing with those feelings because I can tell you absolutely you're not alone. The other thing you want to check out is how does your partner understand or make sense of his own lower libido? Don't mind read because I'm willing to bet honestly this has little or nothing to do with you. So many women feel that perhaps they're just not attractive enough or it's your extra five to ten pounds that might be turning him off. Ladies, I've worked with hundreds of these men and it's not you. It's their lower libido, stress, and may even be low T. And I bring that up again because men, as even in their 20s and 30s, can have low testosterone reducing their libido. You definitely want to rule this out by going to a urologist because if it's low T, there are absolutely effective treatments. 
And the fourth thing I would say, and finally, is don't let your frustration turn you into a bitch. Because for couples trapped in this pattern over years, it's not uncommon for that frustration to grow, and sometimes even to feelings of anger and resentment. And I can assure you there's nothing sexy or approachable about those kinds of feelings. So don't let this happen. Seek a sex therapist sooner than later if you develop a pattern of vicious negative cycles in how you respond to one another, or that you're not even responding to one another at all and you're avoiding one another. Uh, these cycles would drain anyone's libido. And it's also not uncommon for the higher libido partner to shut down their own sexuality. Again, that's a warning sign. Masturbate to keep your own sexual pilot light on, to feel and enjoy your own sexuality, and invite your partner to stimulate you and play with you, even if they are not in the mood to receive. So I hope these tips are helpful, Kelly. But if not, or not enough, or you want uh, a little more, please reach out. I'd be happy to talk with you one-on-one uh, -on -one to explore some others. The key to any sexual relationship is having many tools in your toolbox. Such fantastic advice, right? I think that that was very informative. She covered so much. Thank you, Dr. Megan. And Kelly, I hope that was helpful. I imagine there were some nuggets in there, if not many, that uh, struck a chord with you and other listeners out there. But certainly, if you have any more questions, do reach out. Dr. Megan can be found at greatlifegreatsex.com. And you can also follow her on Facebook and Twitter. Her handle is at Megan Fleming, Ph.D. Now for today's featured guest, Chloe Jeffries says she has been enjoying sexual pleasure since a very early age, even though it filled her with guilt and self-loathing, I bet many of you can relate to that, raised in a very religious household as a teenager, she masturbated with her back to a portrait of Jesus her mother clung or hung on her bedroom wall to keep her sexually pure. That left a mark, as you can imagine. Today, Chloe writes about female sexual issues on her blog, which you can find at chloeofthemountain.com. She's also a labor and delivery nurse with over 20 years experience and and I'm just so excited to have you here, Chloe. Welcome. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me, August. We've been talking so many times about getting together. I'm glad it happened today. Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe we started out, uh, we were on a panel about sex and body image. Uh, gosh, it must have been a couple of years ago now. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm a fan of your your blog. I love your um, your outspoken and and funny and so you know you have so much knowledge to share on this topic, which we haven't covered. We haven't covered middle aged sex um, on my show yet. And actually, I know we're going to talk about estrogen. And I often Google um, quotes before a show. And when I Googled estrogen quotes. Almost none came up. I got two. There were tons about testosterone. Here are the <laughs> I thought, are there any estrogen quotes? I couldn't imagine any. So, you know what, what are there, they? There's two. Um, one, I'll start with the bad one. The first comes from a thriller author, Mary Hogue. She said, estrogen deficient women are nothing but the walking dead. Huh. Which, yeah. Don't worry, the other one's a little bit sunnier, I think. Uh, the other one is unknown, but it came, it came from somebody who's unknown. Um, never underestimate the power of estrogen, which I think could be interpreted in multiple ways. And I like to see the power of estrogen in a positive light, and I think it doesn't get enough credit. Uh, so could you tell us, because I know during middle age, our estrogen levels can drop. What happens when it does? Well, it's... It's a sad story when our little ovaries dry up and die. Um, it's a big, they're sad, and there's a good part too. Uh, estrogen, I believe, is 
is a bonding hormone. So if we look at things, I look at our bodies from a very biological standpoint. I'm a nurse. I've taught biology. You know, I see it in that way. And so the purpose of estrogen really is about getting us pregnant and making sure our offspring survive. And, you know, in a natural world, women desperately need a man dedicated to them and her children to live and survive. And so estrogen helps women put up with basically a lot of shit. <laughs> and I'm not sure if I'm allowed to cut on your show, but you know, yeah, they, you it does. And you know, it, 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 it's a bonding, it's a bonding hormone. So is oxytocin, which is produced when um, we have orgasm or when our nipples are stimulated. The female hormonal cycle is built for making babies and keeping us bonded to a man who is dedicated to make sure that we and our children survive. So when estrogen departs from us, we, our bodies aren't getting that that hormone anymore so the things that make us want to reproduce and make us want to bond with men uh, and maybe put up with a lot of shit goes away and I think this is my theory is why I see a lot of women when they reach their mid 40s early 50s they leave their husbands Uh and men tend to leave their wives for other women women obviously do leave their men for other men but often you'll see middle-aged women leave because it's better and easier to live without him than to live with him. They're not going to pick up his socks anymore. They don't care for his crap anymore. And that's because the estrogen that kept them bonded to him is gone. Interesting. And so I, I read think, oh, oh, sorry. I read a study uh, that said that low estrogen in men can also make sex less appealing. Is that true? Yeah. I, so estrogen is, the, it's a funny thing with female sexuality because part of female sexuality is to want to have sex our ability to have sex at any time is I think you know it's a it's a natural selection so we can keep men with us all the time women don't have heat cycles in the way that animals do although estrogen does play a part and there's a part of your cycle where you're more sexually interested than in other parts of your cycle Um, but uh, for men, I, I think that estrogen is part of its role is to get us pregnant, so that's sexual attraction. But the other part of it is to keep us from getting pregnant too much. Because if we have too many babies, we have them in too rapid of a succession. Um, and Or if we're so interested in sex that we don't take care of the babies that we have, then our offspring don't survive. And so women have this built-in drive that's like counteracted too. Do you understand what I'm saying? That makes us not want to have sex. So we're pickier about, on a biological level, we're pickier about who we have sex with. And we can't necessarily change that. This is driven from our bodies. It has nothing to do with the society we live in. Interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. It's interesting because our our culture and, you know, the options we have have changed so much. And, you know, so, you know, like for I, I don't have kids. I'm not planning to have kids. But... From a biological standpoint, you know, estrogen, that's, like you said, it was just what it's there for initially, you know, was yeah. was for reproduction. So I could see that. That's very interesting. And I know, um, so you said that, you know, that women can feel less interested in sex, less attracted, uh, you know, mm-hmm. put up with shit less. Um, mm-hmm. I read that they're more yeah. prone to, like, uh, lower moods as well, and it can also affect uh, the way that the vagina lubricates itself. Um, what, is, what is vaginal atrophy? 
Yeah, that sucks, doesn't it? So that, that you know, it's interesting. I, I get all kinds of, um, I'm on Medscape email lists, and doctors and researchers into this issue are trying to come up with new names. And I don't remember what the current name is. They've come up with some other name for this condition because women, believe it or not, and it's going to be shocking, don't really like to have their vaginas um, referred to as atrophied. And so they're trying to figure out some other name for it. Well, as our vaginas and our urinary tract system in the female are really kind of one and the same, and they've been treated as two separate things, but they're not. They're really a uh, our genital urinary systems are combined. And estrogen plays a huge part in the tissue in our vagina, in how thick it is, not just how it lubricates, but how it, how it um, heals. Sex can be, you know, even when it's not rough, it's a rubbing against really delicate tissue. And so that tissue has to heal really fast. Your tongue is the fastest healing organ. Well, the vaginal tissue heals really fast too. When the estrogen gets depleted, the vagina becomes much more sensitive to the small little tears that happen during just normal intercourse. And so it's not, it, it's a drying, you're not getting that lubrication. The lubrication that's coming from the cervix isn't happening because that's totally estrogen driven. And then the tissue itself is actually shrinking and getting thinner and less able to heal itself. So the cells themselves are, are changing and um, they're not full and juicy anymore um, because your body doesn't care if you have sex after you're not from a biological standpoint. I'm not talking about what a woman's head says. Right. I'm just speaking about biology. Biology doesn't care if we have sex once we're not reproducing. From a biological standpoint, it's all about reproduction. And so women often find, well, gosh, now I'm free from the obligation of reproduction, but my vagina is not operating like it used to in the way that men can have erectile issues as they age because they're under the same, the, the same biological rules. Um, and it's not really true that men are necessarily fertile their whole lives. They're finding out that's not really true either, that men's fertility declines and decreases and their ability to perform sexually declines as well. Interesting. So I'm very curious about, I hear so many women talking about, um, you know, that they found out that they have low estrogen. And a lot of times it's after a lot of what you were talking about, you know, painful sex, which I know is, is very mm. common, uh, depression, uh, relationship issues, that kind of stuff. Do, I mean, shouldn't we be having our estrogen levels checked regularly? Or is that something that you kind of like wait for a sign? Well, the whole issue with estrogen really got complicated with the World Health Institute study that um, is pretty famous now. There was a big study. It was a longitudinal study and tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. I don't really remember the number of women were on Primarin, which is an estrogen that was manufactured from horse urine. And um, they stopped the study in mid-study because you know, the health risks of this estrogen were found to be, you know, they couldn't, felt ethically they couldn't continue the study without risking these women's health. And suddenly all the women in the United States were, their estrogen was taken away from them and no more estrogen. And now slowly estrogen is coming back as should women have replacement estrogen or not. And really what the research is showing is that not one size fits all. Every woman um, needs to speak to her doctor about what estrogen 
um, whether she should take it or not. And it's difficult to have, you can't have your estrogen checked easily. You have to have it checked, it's sort of a blood work every day for a month to see. And it's not just estrogen, it's progesterone, it's prolactin. I mean, we are a hormone soup, August. And so <laughs> if you wanted to know the real status of your hormones, you would need to have it checked every day. But what they are finding is that the women who do best on estrogen replacement are the ones who start estrogen replacement as early as possible within the menopause cycle. And if you wait too long, then the ill effects of estrogen are more likely to happen. So women who do better or, or um, have less health effects from estrogen replacement, take it earlier. Don't wait. So if you start having hot flashes, if you start noting, noticing vaginal dryness, if your periods become erratic or stop, that's when you need to see your doctor about talking to your doctor about estrogen replacement, not waiting. Okay, um, so you don't um, necess- So then, would the doctor then check your estrogen for you, or would you- is it actually based on symptoms? Sometimes, where it's just like, you know, what it seems like you have symptoms of low estrogen, so let's try this. You know, it really depends who you see. It's you know, and and this area, I, there is a lot of really good studies. Doctors do not bring gynecologists do not talk to their patients about sex. They don't bring it up. They um, rebuff women's questions when women are brave enough to ask. Women really have to be wise consumers in finding a doctor that is going to address their estrogen depletion issues. And, you know, if you go to a doctor and they say, oh, no, I don't give estrogen to any of my patients, you need to find another doctor. I don't care if that was the best doctor who delivered your babies and you love him or her. Um, and let me tell you, just because you have a female gynecologist does not mean you're getting better care. That is a complete myth. Um, some male gynecologists are actually much better and more attuned and more um, empathetic. And so, you know, you have to sometimes search to find a doctor who's going to take your concerns seriously, August. Mm. It, that is a huge problem. It, it's it's in the, um, the literature. Women are having a very difficult time finding doctors who take their issues seriously. And, um, and partly I think this is because women are basically treated like a whole. And if we have a whole, then we're good to go. And, and that to me sounds very crude or vulgar, but that's what I see. You know, men get a lot of attention for their sexual issues. They get studies, they get medications, they get all kinds of, yeah. of, of interest. But as long as a woman has an operating hole, really nobody seems to care. I'm not surprised, and I think you actually put it very well, because it does seem like a, it's almost a black and white, you know, contrast. And I actually... I read today that there are 26 Viagra-like drugs that have been approved for men, and none have been approved for women, which is very interesting. And I know you have some opinions I'd love to hear. Um, I've I've studied more the the female um, versions that may be coming out. One's called Librito that's very similar, works like, like Viagra. Um, and I interviewed um, the scientist who's helping to create it, and, and you know, he said that it's for you know, to treat people who have um, hypoactive sexual desire disorder, which 
you know, is not super common in women, although the International Society for Sexual Medicine says it's about um, 10%, depending on, on age and stuff, um, and that it can be helpful, you know, but it doesn't cure other causes of, of desire drop. Um, you mentioned that you think that Viagra misses the point. What did you mean by that? Well, I, I, as I'm 53, and my husband um, is going to turn 54 on Sunday. And what we're discovering in our sex life is that sex is evolving. And when you're young, sex, whether you like it or not, is about reproduction. So from a hormonal standpoint, that is what your body is interested in doing. As you age, the problem with Viagra, I see, is that it. Well, sex for men isn't just about getting an erection. Sex as you get older is about your relationship. And no drug is going to fix that. Yeah, intimacy becomes much more important, doesn't it? And actually, Dr. Megan, earlier in the show, she's our um, our current resident sex uh, therapist expert who weighs in, and she answered a question for a woman who's... Uh, her partner, her male partner, has lower sex drive than she does. And Dr. Megan was talking about how, you know, there's pressure on men to feel like they Mm -hmm. are Superman in the bedroom and they just can get hard at a, you know, in a second, any time. They think by their penises, all that stuff. And it's like, you know, those stereotypes really hurt hurt all of us. And, And it seems like these drugs are really easily accessible for men just as many women are trying to get them and and like you said having trouble being you know having to be their own advocate and still hitting walls and these drugs aren't approved yet um how how do you determine or what are some of the ways um other than you know obviously you need to talk to a doctor but are there some signs that maybe it's actually you know uh, what are the other ways that men can start dealing with um these kinds of issues like erectile dysfunction well, I think getting really good at oral sex mm-hmm. is, um, <laughs> frankly, is, is and, and intimacy issues that if you've been picking up his socks, so we all know that men don't do half of the housework, even when the woman makes equal amount of money that he does, which most women don't, but if a woman works as many hours, that that's just not happening. And so... By the time you reach your middle age and you've had all of these emotional frustrations with your man, those are just not easily fixed with a pill. You can't just give a man Viagra and that doesn't get him to take out the trash and to be attentive and to help you with the housework. And, you know, those, those drugs don't fix that problem. And... They also don't deal with the pressure that men feel. I read romance novels, and I'm actually kind of frustrated with them right now because they are so erection-focused. And how we know as women, this is part of our conditioning, how we know we're desirable to a man is by his erection. That's how we've been conditioned to think. That's so true. And so, I mean, that's what... And there's some reality to that, but there's also some conditioning behind it, I think. And so when you read a romance novel, his erection was so big, and that's how she knew he loved her. So now I need my husband to get an erection to know he loves me. And when a man starts facing aging issues, that's very distressing for men. And Viagra doesn't necessarily fix all erection issues, and it doesn't fix the pressure issue at all. 
Um, and some men on Viagra have harder times having orgasms. So that's great. He can get an erection, but now he can't come. And that creates its own um, amount of problems. And, you know, I think these drugs have their place. I'm a fan of them. I'm not against them. But I don't think they really address underlying relationship problems because we're not just a penis and a vagina. You know, I'm not a hole and he's not a stick. And that's yeah. not the whole point of our relationship. And that's why I think they missed the point. Very, very well said. You know, there's so many issues and such great points you brought up uh, about the overemphasis on, on erections. And, you know, and I think because men are still cultured to not be as emotional or sensitive. So if they're not used to expressing their emotions or evolving in that way and that intimacy becomes more important you know I could see a disconnect and then women I think that body image is is such a Mm. huge piece of the puzzle and especially you know with menopause you know your metabolism can change you might gain weight you might uh, start you know because of our um, ageism in our in our culture we tend to really prize this youthful um, appearance and this horrible word. I hate anti-aging everywhere. Not that, you know, people shouldn't use any sort of treatments or whatever people decide to use. I, right. You know, no, I hear you totally. But, it's yeah. really anti-death. I mean, yeah. they, they can't say yeah. oil of Olay, anti-death. But really yeah. what people don't want to have happen is they don't want to die. I think yeah. that if aging didn't result in death, we would be a lot less bummed out about it. Um, you know, that's probably true. Yeah, we're, we want to be immortal. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah and, that, is, and, that is true. And so that's, you know, I, I hear you know, aging is just a number. No, it's a number that's closer to death. If aging were just a number and didn't lead to death, I don't think it would have all the stigma that it has. But it's deterioration. It's not being young and youthful. It's not just the way you look. It's I can't do the things I used to do physically. And um, even mentally, I'm just not what I was when I was in my 20s. And all of that's pointing me to an imminent mortality that I would, you know, I'm in some denial about, frankly. It's interesting, (laughs) too, because, you know, there are certain cultures, you know, like in France, for example, they they revere and and see beauty, you know, in aging. But it's it's very similar to what you were talking about with the shift. Instead of seeing it as, and yes, we are all going to die, who knows when, um, but also that if we start seeing it as a shift, you know, uh, the relationships that we have with ourselves and our values, you know, shift. I think a lot of women stop caring as much about what other people think, you know, hopefully, yeah. hopefully more and more, which is why I think orgasms get stronger for women over time, you know, when they when they prioritize sexuality, for sure. It's, it's all very, very interesting. Um, do they bring a lot? You said that people don't necessarily orgasm with Viagra. Are there a lot of health risks involved with these drugs? Well, I haven't really made a major study of Viagra. I have been watching, like you, sort of the development of the female libido medications and um, I think there's a place for them but I think that a lot of female I, I really don't believe there's as much physical behind female loss of libido except for the estrogen as much as relationship issues and that long-term relationship dissatisfaction leads eventually to sexual dissatisfaction and that 
there comes a point for many couples, it certainly happened in my own marriage, where, you know, we had to go into the crucible of our marriage and whether we were going to stay together or not, and that a lot of the bullshit that we'd both perpetrated upon each other had to stop. And we had to overhaul our relationship and create a new relationship that deals with this part of our lives, post-children and facing our old age. Our whole relationship needed overhauling. And that's very painful. And many people would rather go out and find another partner than face the pain of overhauling the relationship they're in. And how do we have those conversations? Because like you said, they're they're not pleasant and they're also, someone has to start it. People have hard enough time initiating sex. How do they start these conversations? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, frankly, August, I don't know. I never change unless it becomes too painful to stay the way I was. I, I don't know. I've never just woke up in the morning and totally happy with my life and said, you know, I think I'll change it all today. That, you know, it's always because my uh, the, my payoff of how I'm living becomes less than the risk of change. And so usually I think these kind of uh, changes, some couples just live in a silent misery that others break up and find someone else they're in love with. Um, and then some couples, I mean, for us, we had three therapists at one point. I am not even joking. Um, and we had therapy three, four, five times a week during a particular time in our marriage because it was, you know, make or break for us. And, um, you know, some it was a, a pivotal experience that happened, and and we had to make a decision. And I think that is what happens for couples. But I still loved my husband, and he still loved me, and we decided to stay together. For many couples, I think the love is gone by middle age, and they can't remember the things that they loved about that person. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's sad, and at the same time, you know, starting again if that if that is the healthy thing if it's not avoidant if it's that there's love there and I don't want to do the work I think that's tragic but if it's you know we have lost the love we're not happy together we're just doing this because it's somehow easier but it's also harder to be so lonely in a relationship you know Um, I I was divorced very early had a very early marriage and you know that was not to draw a comparison because I don't think you compare that to a a decade plus long marriage but I think that that renewal can be a beautiful thing a restart and you know middle age can also be this wonderful new beginning what has been the payoff for you as far as it sounds like you've done a lot of work on your relationship on yourself what are some of the things that uh, people who are in that tough place right now who are deciding to or wanting to decide to make a positive change what are some of the the rewards well, I, I, well, first of all, the sex was amazing. It was, uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 when I grew up with a lot of religious guilt and actually just because I felt I re- was raised in a very religious home and the whole issue of reproduction and sexuality being so tied for me, menopause has been a great relief for me because now it kind of, I can't get pregnant at all at this point. So it doesn't really matter where my husband spills his seed. And so um, anyone who's religious might understand what I'm talking about. Uh You know, I can, I'm free to have whatever sex I want to have now. And that has been so freeing because I don't have the guilt. Oh my gosh, I should have tried to have a baby or been open to have a baby because that's ultimately what God would want for me. Um, So great sex, the freedom to be who I am 
and the freedom to trust my mate. And uh, it was a profoundly intimate experience going through that with someone that had laid on the floor while I vomited when I was pregnant with our second child in the ER. I mean, we have been through everything that life can throw at us. And when you've come to this place with that person and you've really given it your all, that is, I can't speak the words of how beautiful that is. But I, my husband and I often say people give up too easy. They just give up too easily. And, you know, it's ugly sometimes and really hard. Um, but if you really loved that person at some point, you can learn to, you can have that re-love again, I think. But you're going to have to walk through glass probably to get to them if it's come to that place. Beautifully said. I'm so happy for you guys and, and where you are. And it's so inspiring. I know that people are are listening and, and really appreciating it. Um, before I let you go, I know that you really value sexual honesty and you say that that's played a big role in your uh, perseverance and the, the enduring happiness of your marriage. What is one way or one suggestion you would offer as far as cultivating that? Well, uh, texting. Texting is a really safe way to... Um, reveal your real sexual self to someone. And I think younger people are doing that. I don't know that people my age are as familiar with using texting that way uh, with their spouse or their mate. Maybe, you know, you're texting somebody on the side. But um, that I wrote my husband an entire erotic novel via text during some of the and actually we were separated at that time so we had the separation we were seeing all this counseling I was looking at other apartments I mean it was kind of a very interesting time where we were considering whether we were going to break up or I was my husband says he never was but I certainly was and on the side I began this erotic novel that I was texting to my husband that was revealing who I really was sexually that I always felt I could never tell a man because then I'd be a bad girl. And I, I could and and that is how I opened that door to being who I really am sexually. It was a safe place. I stopped using it for pick up the milk and started using it to tell him stories about myself sexually. Wow. Beautiful. That needs to be a movie or something. That, <laughs> that is amazing. Gosh. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you'll join me again. I hope so. Please invite me. I will. Take care, Chloe. Bye-bye. She awesome. So much fun. I just feel so fortunate. To learn more about Chloe, make sure you visit her website, again, chloeofthemountain.com, and follow her on Twitter, at Chloe Jeffries. I will include those links in my show notes as well. Our last guest today is Natalie Hatches, and I had to have her call in even just for a quick little interview because I heard about her fantastic upcoming online course that I just respect so much, and she was kind enough to share a bit with us today, and she's actually going to offer you guys some pretty cool stuff. Um, Natalie is a sexuality educator specializing in intimacy after illness. For over 11 years she's worked with thousands of women educating them about their sexual health and empowering them to be more comfortable 
with their sexuality. She is the founder of TigerBlossomBoutique.com and Love Chat with Nat. Uh, she aims to help women to become more sexual and sensual versions of themselves, which is so relevant to what we're talking about today. She has a master's in psychology and is currently furthering her education, uh, getting the very esteemed um, certification from the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. Thank you for joining me, Natalie. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. Hello. I'm well, and I'm I'm really um, very interested in your course. I've never actually heard of a course on this topic, so I think it's um, so valuable. Before I ask you about it, though, I would love to hear just a bit about your background. What inspired you to cultivate a career as a sex educator? It actually started when I was I was pretty young. I, when I was younger and I was watching Roseanne and uh, DJ this time, he mentioned something about ejaculation. And I asked my mom what it was. And instead of telling me, she gave me a book. And it was one of those question and answer books. So any question I ever wanted to know, I would have never thought to ask, it answered it. And and so I, I, I had so much knowledge even just as a teenager and all through high school, all through college, all my papers were on sexual health. And then I ended up actually becoming a peer romance consultant. And through that, I realized how much women just needed the um, the information and, and the empowerment because, you know, these days women can't talk about sex. I even have girlfriends who have been around me for forever and they still, you know, are earmuffs when you say vagina. So it's, yeah. it's just something that's very needed. Yeah, I agree. And uh, my husband teases me that that's why I have this show now because I was like, always talking I was you know it's hard to find people to talk about sex with when everyone else blushes around you you know like I have oh girlfriends who and you know I have total respect for that because I know where it comes from as I'm sure you do too but it's it's refreshing and your voice is refreshing and I'm grateful for what you're doing could you tell us about your course yes so for the past two years we've been working on a course on intimacy after illness um, it's an eight-week transformational online course so it has modules. You basically, um, you can go at your own pace, but it is set to eight weeks. We are offering an extra two weeks in case the time just doesn't work with some people's schedules. But it's a holistic approach. So it's focusing on mind, body, and soul. Instead of just teaching them about um, sex and, and different foreplay techniques and things like that, it's kind of diving into a meditation that connects them to their inner self-healing and... Um, we're also doing some nutritional tips to increase energy, which also obviously increases desire, yoga and other exercise techniques for a floor, sexual response cycle, um, just self-nurturing exercises. So it kind of just focuses on the whole body. And eventually we're, what we're aiming to do is to help instill more confidence and, and help the women to, to see themselves as, as a sexual being again. Beautiful. And when you say um, illness, so can this be any kind of illness or is it a particular type? We originally had focused just on cancer and then realized that all illnesses really kind of play a part, especially when you're taking medication or if you're left with uh, scars, visible scars and things like that, where we 
we tend to, you know, become self-conscious. So really, if any illness, anything that that has played a part in your life that has taken away that sexuality and sensuality aspect. Awesome, awesome. That's so great. I hope uh, anyone who's out there who's listening and is uh, compelled is interested in this, I'm going to share more information on my, my website. But just so people know, how can they sign up and what are you offering to, to the Girl Boner fans? So to sign up, you can go to www.lovechatwithnat.com forward slash go forward slash the number eight week course. And what I'm offering is until Friday in two days on the 17th, if they use code GIRLBONER, they get $200 off. And then we're also offering a bonus, Anna Ono Intimates. They just did a huge write-up about them. It's the new um, lingerie. It's the more sexy, sexy lingerie. And they're going in a gift bag. And then we're also offering three one-hour educational sessions with me. One-year complimentary membership to our Love Goddess program, weekly check-in during the e-course to answer all questions, and then unlimited email support for 30 days after the e-course. And that's all available if you sign up by Friday, the 17th. Wow, that is so awesome. I mean, I have to try to get lots of people to listen before that. Some people, uh, I notice, listen over the weekend. So if they miss those fabulous deals, which are so generous and and awesome, um, they can still sign up, right? They can, and and if and if that's the case, we can extend it until Monday. I figured they would listen by Friday, but that's fine. We can extend it until okay. Monday. Awesome. Let's do that because I noticed that a lot of people listen on like Sundays, so that would be cool. Perfect. So great. Thank you so much. That is so generous. Uh, we're going to be welcome. putting the word out, and and truly, thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you, Ak. Isn't that great? I just admire people so much who are out there um, doing work that is so helpful to so many people. I hope you guys will check out her awesome uh, class and those bonuses sound incredible. Um, So again, all the way through Monday, I will share a link to uh, the class on the show notes. I'll be tweeting about it. You can, you know, if you miss this or you're confused, whatever, just reach out to me or reach out to Natalie and we will make sure to get you set up. It sounds really awesome. Uh, A few tidbits tidbits of news before we wrap up. Um, First, I have some uh, some fun news about a writing project. I have a new relationship advice column for the Good Men Project, which I'm so excited about. I really admire the work that that publication, really their whole community, you know, what they're doing is, is awesome. Check out their website regardless of if you read my column. Um, it's thegoodmenproject.com. You can find my first weekly segment in the show notes by clicking articles on my website, augustmclaughlin.com. My first segment, I answered a question from a guy who wanted to know how to find the one and get passion back in his life after a breakup. To submit a question that I just might answer in an upcoming column, you can email it to info at goodmenproject.com. And guess what? You can now support Girl Boner by shopping for spectacular sex toys at Good Vibrations. Yay! Uh, they are such a wonderful foundation. Um, a portion of each purchase you make through the links on my websites will help all things girl boner you know keep us spicy and strong to peruse and purchase visit my website augustmclaughlin.com or my blog 
augustmclaughlin.wordpress.com and just click on the Good Vibrations ad in the sidebar. Uh, Girl Boner only gets credit if you use those links. Last but far from least, starting next week, many of my episodes will be filmed, you guys. Oh my gosh, I'm going to totally have to brush my hair, uh, which means you can now not only listen uh, through iTunes, Stitcher, and Global Voice Studios, um, but you can also catch my in-person interviews on YouTube. I'm so, so excited. I have awesome guests coming next week, two of them, a swinging couple, if you know what I mean. Um, stay tuned for more details. Whatever you're doing to support us, if you're whether you're just listening or you're there's no just about that. Whether you're listening, which is the hugest gift, subscribing, reviewing us on iTunes, or spreading the word, I cannot tell you how grateful I am for every single one of you. Thank you so, so much. Even those of you who don't agree with me a lot of the time, if you don't, I still appreciate your listening because I know that you know it takes a, a brave and strong person to have their beliefs challenged, and I'm always open to hearing your thoughts. So thank you so much. Until next time, have a beautiful girl boner embracing week 